welcome to Paths to Restoration. I'm Ed Szeski, the author of Reconnect, Spiritual Restoration from Digital Distraction. And I am delighted to have my friend, uh, uh, author, pastor coach, jack of all spiritual trades, uh, Ray Holland back with me today, a fellow Kentucky resident. And uh, he is the author, one of the many reasons why I'm having Ray on, but especially right now, this time of year, is he has a uh, Advent devotional. Uh, 25 Days of Christmas, a devotional for incredibly busy people, which I mean, I'm not, I'm not that busy. I don't know, I don't know who that's <laughs> for. Um, you know, with COVID and homeschooling and working from home, you know, it's you're easy, not incredibly busy. Easy peasy. Uh, <laughs> thanks for joining me, Ray. It's my pleasure, and it's good to see you. I mean, Zoom has some advantages. It's nice. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So. Socially, socially distanced interview it works well. Um, well, just to start out, just to introduce yourself to folks who may not know you, uh, you know, share a little bit about your work, um, mm -hmm. what you're up to as far as you know, just your, your background and also kind of what you're doing right now and, okay. and what you've been writing. Well, uh, like my friend Ed Suzuki, I'm a stranger in a strange land. Uh, I grew up in the Chicago area, uh, but ended up in central Kentucky. Uh, now, I've been here a little longer than Ed has. I've been here 25 years, and I've grown to love it, uh, but it was a culture shock for me. Um, uh, what do I do? Well, I teach at a, a university, a small liberal arts school uh, in central Kentucky. Uh, I coach pastors, uh, either coaching or spiritual formation, depending on which way they, they want those relationships to go. Um, I do some editing, and then uh, and then I write a few books along the way. Uh, so that's me, uh, in a nutshell. Married, uh, it'll be 36 years next week. Uh, three kids, and um, you know, just L I V I N, as they said in Dazed and Confused years ago. <laughs> now, and you were a a vineyard pastor. I was. Um, I feel like one of the things that people don't know about the vineyard is they're kind of like a sneaky spiritual direction, spirituality group. Like people think about vineyard as kind of like, you know, rock concert music, like the kids, my kids called it the drum church, um, yeah. you know, but there's also like a really, like that's kind of like what got me going um, with a lot of the spiritual practices. I feel like I had been introduced to a lot of it, but as far as putting it into practice, you know, the vineyard was actually really helpful for me in nurturing that. Yeah, um, and, uh, and it's true. The, the vineyard has its roots with a guy named John Wimber, who was a rock and roll musician. He was producer for the Righteous Brothers. But that goes back like a generation. Uh, so it's not a very old movement either, because, you know, back to like the 70s or 80s. Uh, but early on in the history of the vineyard, uh, the, the idea of spiritual disciplines and of a contemplative lifestyle really began to take hold among vineyard pastors. And there are some really sainted uh, people within the vineyard. Uh, Dave Nixon being one, uh, Jared Boyd being another. Um, people who have really helped what could have spun out of control as just celebration-oriented uh, or just uh, charismatic-leaning oriented. Um, uh, those practices uh, helped, uh, well, personally keep me grounded. Uh, and um, so what the vineyard tries to do is embrace 
uh, uh, openness to the movement of the Spirit, but also stillness and quietness in the presence of that Spirit. So, yeah, I'd, uh, I'd, uh, I, I was a vineyard pastor for many years, and then uh, we transitioned the church to the next generation of leadership. It's time for the baby boomers to you know, move, move over. <laughs> uh, so we transitioned the uh, the church years ago, and uh, actually, the it makes me mad. The, the the guy who took my place, Adam Russell, is doing a way better job than I am. <laughs> so, um, you know, in your in your work as a you know teacher, coach, writer, um, how how are some of the ways that you've been using smartphones and social media? Uh, what are what are some of the the things that you've seen yourself doing over the years, and maybe how it's evolved? Yeah, um, well, and 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 I'm glad that you make a distinction between smartphones and social media, because a smartphone, of course, has just become a tool of the trade. Um, you know, back in the '90s, uh, uh, there were plenty of people who had no cellular connections whatsoever, and I was one of those guys. Um, but a but a phone made me available. Uh, when I was mobile. Well, that's G, that's why they call them mobile phones. Um, uh, and uh, that availability sometimes means that you're available uh, way beyond what would be normal hours, which mm. is both a plus and a minus. People right. can get a hold of you in, in an actual emergency. Uh, and at the same time, everything can feel like an actual uh, emergency. And so those barriers get broken down. Um, Social media, especially for a guy like me, a baby boomer, uh, at first uh, it was a siren song. Um, you know, when they dropped the .edu requirement on Facebook, you know, a couple of decades ago, it was like as a pastor, I, I got to see the lives of my people being played out on, you know, their posts. Now these are carefully curated posts of the people, but it actually helped me to get to know my people better. Hmm. But that was a long time ago. Yeah. Now, social media uh, is, I'm, I'm no different than anyone else. It, uh, it is largely a distraction. It is frequently a dumpster fire. Uh, and we have been so practiced, we as a people, Americans, have been so practiced at curating our identity uh, that actually a pastor doing the work of a pastor uh, could be fooled as to what people's lives would be like if the pastor relies too much on social media. Mm. Uh, as a coach of pastors, uh, I use the phone way more than I use social media. And then finally, as a writer, I use Twitter um, uh, because Twitter is a way to at least, if I think I've got a good sentence or even a good series of sentences, I can toss them out on social media uh, and see if there's any resonance. And you know, as a writer, Ed, uh, that writing can be a lonely work that is either done in hubris or in faith. And uh, the idea of Twitter can actually uh, let you know if uh, if what you've got uh, is resonating with anyone. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's valuable. Yeah. And yeah, I'm curious, like, what what are the things that you're seeing right now in this particular season? You know, I mean, you can kind of take your pick of, of topics. I mean, you know, when I talked to Steve Weens, he was, uh, you know, a pastor up in Minnesota uh, during the George Floyd uh, 
you know, protests and the, that whole incident. Um, no. That was that was a really draining time for him as a pastor. Uh, but just, you know, more generally right now, you know, with all the different, uh, the election stuff on social media, COVID, uh, you know, what are the things that you're seeing, like the challenges that people are facing, the challenges that pastors and ministries are facing? Yeah. Um, kind of, kind well, of, I'm leaving this really general and vague. Yeah, that's a, that's a wide open I mean, question. And yeah. Thank you, because I've, I've wanted somebody to ask me to solve all the problems of the world. And finally, <laughs> saying, what, have, what are you seeing? What are you seeing? I'm not, yeah. yeah. I'll um, solve it. You tell me the problem, I'll solve it. Yeah. Oh, there you go. <laughs> uh, here's what I'm seeing. Uh, I'm seeing that uh, we have more than one contagion out there. Of course, the, there's the pandemic and, you know, the coronavirus thing. Um, but anxiety is a contagion and fear is a contagion and outrage is a contagion. And uh, take, for example, the, the George Floyd uh, tragedy. Uh, within hours of that video being released, I had seen a man die right on Twitter, you know, the link through Twitter. Um, and I remember thinking immediately, that could be my son. Um, and there's a difference between empathy and outrage. Um, the, the scripture says that the anger of man does not accomplish the righteousness of God. Um, now, that video should have been released. I'm glad that it was. Uh, and uh, there needs to be accountability for the systemic injustice that goes on in our world. But some of the contagions of social media are outrage and anxiety. Um, uh, and, uh, and those things because we're so shocked by what we see, um, we, give, uh, we give real um, a wide room uh, to our responses. Uh, and uh, the scripture again says, let everyone be uh, quick, to, uh, quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Um, and sometimes social media works against that. Now, I, I wanna make sure I'm clear about this though, Ed. Uh, that was outrageous. And the, the, there should be accountability. Uh, and, and the issues of systemic injustice should be raised. The problem is, is that sometimes uh, what is a fire that should be started becomes a wildfire that can get out of control. Uh, and um, I'm not making any comments about either side politically. I'm just saying that there are contagions of anxiety and outrage. Uh, and we are all susceptible to those contagions. Right. I, I think that it's also important to talk about that it's, you know, it's an angering video, but it's like, but then what? What's yes. Next? What's next? And how can, we, question. But how, then can we, how can we take that next step? And, you know, what direction do we go in? And I, I think that that's, I mean, that's the problem with social media is that you can then go looking for the person who has the worst take, you know, and kind of hate <laughs> <laughs> hate, hate watch something or whatever. I mean, it, it, it can definitely end up going in an unproductive direction that doesn't lead to more justice or, you know, any kind of resolution, it, you know, and that's, um, and this on a more mundane level, there's the, um, the, the use of just creating content that's outrageous just to get, to get hits. I mean, you know. Well, and people who are media savvy, uh, understand that anxiety sells, bad news sells, and outrage sells. 
Um, on the on the plus side of the ledger, and let's just stay with with the George Floyd uh, tragedy. Uh, on the plus side, you know, here are you and I in Kentucky, uh, an agricultural state far removed uh, from the urban setting of Minneapolis-St. Paul. And yet, within three days, there was a Black Lives Matter march organized in my little Kentucky town. And that's an amazing thing. Um, uh, both uh, Black and white pastors and Black and white Christians together right down the main street of what would have been the heart of Jim Crow a generation ago. Um, social media allowed us to organize, it allowed us to express our voice, and it, and it allowed us to relate to one another. Uh, so that was absolutely a positive. Uh, and my wife and I uh, were a part of that march. And uh, you know the, the, the brothers and sisters of color that we knew in our community, uh, we were all together. So social media uh, can do some really good things. But then for the people who make it their living to be media savvy, social media is just another lever in the long history of humanity. It's just another lever by which you can manipulate the masses. Right. Mm. So in light of that, I'm, I'm curious, like, how have you placed barriers or set up guidelines for yourself or are there, are there things that you do or watch out for in your own use of social media? Oh, yeah. In fact, you hooked me up with a guy who did a webinar on how to put um, uh, barriers on the use of social media. And um, for me, one of the most useful by far uh, is to turn off notifications. Uh, um, yeah. If everything is important, then nothing's important. Right. Uh, but boy, when my phone goes ding or dong or a little uh, chime, you know, like a bamboo chime, uh, first of all, my ear is already attuned to listen to notifications. I mean, I may not be able to hear a baby crying, but I'll hear the sound that says you've got mail. Oh, wait. That's AOL from right, two yeah. generations ago. But now it's just a little notification, right? Yeah. Uh, so one of the boundaries that I set uh, is um, turning off notifications, especially the auditory ones that, go, that, that clamor for my attention. Um, and then the second boundary that I set was that when Facebook was no longer a pastoral tool for me, um, mm -hmm. uh, I, I dropped that relationship in a hurry. Uh, so I have been off of Facebook for a while, okay. and I'm so glad. Um, uh, I, 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 I'm still active with Instagram and with Twitter. Uh, I still can't figure out how to use Spotify, baby boomer. Um, but I dropped Facebook. There was a boundary. Uh, I, I muted all notifications, uh, and then I'm the one choosing when I'm going to dip my toe in the water. Yeah. Good. So um, kind of taking a little bit of a turn here, you, you know, you have a book for Advent for incredibly busy people. I do. And, you know, I think that obviously social media can play a, a bit of a role as far as just filling our heads with, with thoughts and with uh, information and stuff to do, the fear of missing out. Um, 
you know, what, what are some of the themes you're touching on in this devotional? The, the themes in that particular devotional are organized uh, around people. Uh, so it, uh, it's designed to take you from uh, not the traditional advent in the church liturgical historical calendar, but just uh, 25 days of Christmas, December 1 through December 25. But it's organized uh, with observations about Mary observations about Joseph, observations about outsiders like the Magi or uh, the shepherds, um, uh, so that uh, uh, we can, in, in the uh, devotional, you can go for four or five days with, with just devotionals that are only about Mary and what were her experiences. Not that, you know, me removed by 2,000 years and by gender uh, that I'm going to fully understand Mary, um, but I can still receive what the scripture invites me to think about. Mm. Uh, so that's the way that it's, uh, that it's organized. Uh, it's funny because I'm a contemplative uh, by choice now, uh, and yet I called it uh, a, um, uh, a devotional for incredibly busy people. That, I'm afraid, was manipulative marketing. Uh, I, I wrote it, with the idea that in two minutes or less, someone could do a devotion. The devotion. So what is that? Is that like a, a, a you know a Mac devotion, a little tiny mini devotion, a McDevotion? Um, uh, but if they're any good, and uh, and some people have resonated with them, uh, it introduces a thought that people can carry with them all day and muse on. It's not that I want to be the one telling them what to think or feel. I just want to put an idea or a thought into play, and then hopefully they can take that thought with them all day long. Mm. Mm. And, uh, you know, so the, the book itself doesn't get into spiritual practices. No, uh, not that particular one. Uh, okay. It does not. Um, um, in fact, uh, there are people who write so much more cogently on spiritual practices. Uh, uh, of course, you know, they're, you know, the, the, the modern uh, um, progenitors of it, like uh, Richard Foster, you know, or Dallas Willard or people like that. And then of course, there's the ancient masters uh, as well. Um, so uh, spiritual practices inform what I do, um, but I'm, I'm afraid I'm not fully qualified to actually write about spiritual practices. In my coaching work, I will take people through spiritual practices, and mm -hmm. I will introduce, especially evangelicals, uh, I'll introduce them to spiritual practices that they may not have known existed. But actually, my, my written work uh, uh, doesn't uh, offer spiritual practices uh, as a, a point of instruction. Right, yeah. Yeah, no, I was thinking about, because it's, you, you kind of like, you're in kind of like almost two worlds. I mean, it's kind of, I guess it's, it's very vineyardy as far as having a mm -hmm. you know, devotional writing output. The other books do have kind of a devotional feel to them. Uh, but then you also have the spiritual practices. Like, what are some of the spiritual practices that the people you coach find most helpful or what, you know, what are some of the experiences you've had? Yeah, um, it's, it's interesting. And I coach mostly pastors or worship leaders. I've got a few business people that I coach as well. Um, the, 
this will come as no surprise to you, uh, you know, who has literally written the book on some spiritual practices. But silence, stillness, and solitude uh, are are practices that many uh, godly people don't even know that they need. Um, the idea that prayer could be listening, which requires silence and stillness and solitude as well, that the idea that prayer could be listening as opposed to doing warfare in prayer, which I think there's a place for that, or praying the scriptures, you know, to to you know bring God's kingdom. Uh, right. You can you can tell by the way, I changed my tone, uh, that I, I belittle that a bit. I, I do think there's a place for it. Um, but uh, many pastors have never even been taught, they've never heard of centering prayer, right. 10 minutes a day, 15 minutes of just stillness, to expect nothing from God, not even a word, to expect nothing from God and to ask nothing of God. It's just enough to be with him. Um, so that is a go-to uh, early on in my coaching practice with pastors. Um, T.S. Eliot has a, has a brilliant line in which he talks about the still point around which the world dances. And I, I want to invite pastors to get connected to that still point. Uh, so centering prayer, uh, breathing prayer uh, is... Um, uh, is I think been a really life-changing thing that I can introduce to uh, to pastors who have never heard of it. And whether it's very traditional breathing prayer, you know, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, a sinner, in now, or whether you, you personally design it for your own needs. Uh, the idea that if you're practiced in stillness, then breathing can recenter you very quickly. Right, right. Interesting. And, you know, for people who maybe are feeling a little decentered right now, and we're recording this the day after the election. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm not above saying that I have done a little bit of doom scrolling here and there. Um, you know, either day, day of or day after, or, you know, days before. I've, I definitely had a lot of barriers and boundaries I set around social media, but there were some moments where I thought, you know what, I'm just going to go on a information hunt. And the information hunt went way longer than it should have. But you know, I'm curious, like what, putting your contemplative pastor hat on for a minute, you know, what would you say to people as far as just, you know, whether they're unsettled right now, or they're just having a hard time putting their phones down or social media down? Um, what would be helpful at this moment? Um, well, um, this is where you put the hashtag dad jokes, mm. right? Um, uh, I've, I've tried to tell people even today, it was one of the Twitter posts that I put out there that we can't hold our breath forever. Uh, in fact, if you try to hold your breath too long, you pass out and then guess what? You breathe normally. <laughs> um, so one of the best practices is just breathe. Um, uh, whether we expect to have everything resolved by counting up votes uh, and to do that quickly, uh, or whether we don't, uh, the, the truth is, is that the human situation and the social situation uh, is actually not going to be impacted by the election. Whether one color wins or another color wins, 
uh, there are going to be people who are dissatisfied and again, filled with anxiety and outrage. Um, so uh, doom scrolling, uh, I'm guilty as well. Uh, uh, but uh, it's like that, have you seen that Bob Newhart video where he just says, stop it? Have you seen that one? Mm -mm. Oh, it's great. Well, yeah, here's my spiritual counsel. Stop it. Um, uh, and, the, you know, then that'll be 50 bucks, please. Right. Um, um, but uh, the perspective that, that Jesus helped me with, even this morning, uh, was in Psalm 31. Uh, and, I, and I really do believe the Holy Spirit just kind of whispered it to me. I had to go look it up. Our times are in his hand. Uh, and then when you actually read Psalm 31, you find out that it was still a time of injustice and a time of tribulation. And I realized that people of privilege can simply say, oh, well, it's all in God's hand is just a way of people of privilege passing the buck spiritually. Mm. Uh, but I found Psalm 31 this morning to be uh, really life-giving to me because it was a complaint of someone who was suffering persecution, but still finding rest in that uh, our times are in his hand. Um, and, uh, you know, nobody's ever called me except for you uh, to ask my opinion about, you know, these great events. Um, so I, 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 I practice surrendering um, my, uh, even my opinions, surrendering my opinions to the Almighty. And I want to, here's what I want to do. I want to say my prayers. I want to love my family. I want to love my neighbor. And then I want to go about my tasks. Uh, you've got little kids. They still expected to have breakfast this morning, didn't they? Mm -hmm. I was I was on the lunch shift. I did it on the lunch cafeteria. Oh, Julie, Julie did the other part. Julie, okay. Yeah, Julie did yeah. the lunch, their breakfast, and yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I think that's that's helpful to think about that. As I mean, I, I, one of the things that I've been thinking a lot about with contemplative prayer and scripture is that you know, instead of looking at scripture as kind of the final word or as this solution or whatever, uh, thinking about it more as an invitation for deeper reflection and to, to think about what it means for our times to be in his hands, for, for the Lord to be present yes. in the moment. And that not as a dismissive or easy, quick fix, uh, fill in the blank answer, but as, as an invitation to think about, okay, if, if the Lord is present in these times, what does that mean? Oh, I, lo I love the way you just said that, an invitation to think it through, an invitation to consider. Uh, I stand foursquare against using uh, scriptural bumper stickers as a quick fix. Um, but if you can receive it, then you can receive that the Holy Spirit is inviting you to use the sacred and eternal word as the point of meditation. Well, that's something very different than just putting a, a Bible band-aid on the situation. Yeah. 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 And, you know, I, I think that the other you know, aspect of what you talked about, I, I think that that can be really empowering to think about, you know, what you've been called to do, what your work is, you know, I think that mm -hmm. we can get so sucked into these national events and they're, they're big, you know, they're really big things. Yeah. And there are some, there are some, a, a few people who have big roles you know, whether they're on working on campaigns or candidates or whatever, but uh, by and large, a lot of us are 
you know, either spectators who have a, a minor role in voting or, you know, mm -hmm. advocacy for one thing or another. But, you know, day to day, a lot of what we have to do is to think about, okay, how can we help our neighbors right now? Yeah. And yeah. Uh, that, that can be, hopefully that can be a little bit empowering. Uh, you know, Thomas Merton always talked about his, his influence in the world was, was zero. He was a zero. And uh, I've often thought about that because he was, he was meeting with all these global figures and peace activists. And yeah. he was basically, I mean, I don't think people realize this, but the Catholic Church was really, really into nuclear weapons, uh, you know, back when he, <laughs> when he was writing. And he was this rebel, second guessing, you know, maybe we shouldn't nuke the communists. Like that was not, that was not acceptable in the eyes of his superiors. And so, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, he he was part of a, a movement, and yet he also had a very I don't want to say low opinion of himself, but I think he had a you know a very humble opinion of himself. That yeah, or I'll suggest a word. I think he had a grounded opinion of himself. Yeah, and for example, there's another psalm, and I I couldn't tell you exactly where it is, but it's by King David, and he actually says. I don't concern myself with matters too great for me. Mm. And I'm thinking, he's the freaking king of Israel. Right. I mean, he is an important person. <laughs> and yet, even he knew the sense of his boundaries or his limitations. Uh, and again, this is never an excuse for inaction. I mean, when children were being separated from their parents at the border earlier this year, uh, there are things I can do. I can at least call, you know, my legislators and demand that they interpose in those situations. Um, but, you know, one call to a legislator is way better than 10 outraged tweets. Right. <laughs> um, and uh, so, you know, I can love my neighbor. I, I can act as a citizen, but I should also have a grounded view. Uh, I mean, if, if Thomas Merton... Uh, had a humble, as you said, or a grounded view, as I said, of himself, uh, then, you know, maybe we ought to learn from men and women like him. Yeah, good word. Uh, you know, kind of covering some ground that we've already been on, but I'm, I'm curious, you know, as of this week, you know, what are the practices or just uh, things that are grounding you, that are helping you, that are restoring you? Is there anything you're leaning on in particular? Yeah, uh, thank you for asking. Um, uh, my evangelical background uh, has always highly prized the idea of spontaneous prayer. And part of what I'm learning to embrace in a contemplative tradition is that um, there are prayers that I can adopt from other people who were deeper and wiser and whether that's the Book of Common Prayer, which is a, a hugely uh, well-known example, or whether it's, you know, like the prayers of Julian of Norwich, uh, and she's teaching me that all will be well. And, and again, it's not passing the buck, it's, it's getting centered. Uh, so my practice of late, the one that's been giving me the most life, uh, is to pray the Psalms, mm. and sometimes, Ed, to pray the same Psalm over and over and over each day for a month. Uh, and again, you know, for uh, people that are easily distracted and want to be entertained, 
you know, pray the, the 23rd Psalm every day for a month and ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you. And the only prayer that I give myself is, you know, the Psalm. And then I ask the Spirit to speak to me through the text of the Psalm. So those have been sustaining practices for me right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've, I've, uh, not to the same degree, but you know, I use the, um, the divine hours and yeah, I've, that's a great one. I've, I've kind of found myself using that as kind of my like kickoff mm -hmm. uh, for prayer, uh, kind of, you know, it's not like training wheels, but I feel like it kind of gets me going down the runway a little bit, you know? Oh, and, yeah. yeah. And, uh, and then it makes the other, the other spiritual practices easier. Um, but that's, yeah, no, I, I feel like that, you know, that's the yeah, divine hours. Yeah. Divine hours. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I remember thinking when I, I wrote this in Flee, Be Silent, and Pray, but uh, I felt like using the prayers of other people was like cheating. You know, it was yes. like, <laughs> you know, somehow not as holy. Uh, mm -hmm. But it's, it's just really, it's really a wonderful support for your own prayer. And, you know, I, I feel like I have more in me now for spontaneous it's it's kind of like you know like writers like read a lot right like yes it's kind yes. of the same kind of idea <laughs> exactly or 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 let's let's make it you know kind of silly um you have your children are much younger than mine but imagine that your children would say daddy teach me to pray and you'd say no you have to do it yourself otherwise it's not authentic right what father or mother, what parent would do that to their child? Um, so we, we have our spiritual uh, foremothers and forefathers, and they have left us a legacy. And if we're wise, we'll receive that legacy, even while we listen for how do we contextualize that legacy in our day and in our time. It's mm. good. I like it. So um, speaking of contextualizing that legacy, uh, your books, you want to give folks a little roundup of, of some of what you've written and how they can connect with you and find them and connect with your, your recontextualizing of that legacy. Yeah. Well, you're kind to ask. Thank you. Um, uh, the, the website that, uh, that I use uh, is students of Jesus. It's a plural students of Jesus.com. Um, I used to blog there quite a bit, uh, and, I, and I even heard uh, some of the other guys, Sean Smucker, talk about, well, he doesn't blog as much as he used to. Uh, I don't blog as much as I used to, but I have pages there uh, that will connect people to my work. Um, and I have books that are devotional in nature, and then I have books that, are, that presume to be instructive in nature. Um, and... Uh, uh, so studentsofjesus.com is, is a good way to start. It also describes my coaching practice. Um, and then, of course, I'm, I'm going to mention big tech, uh, amazon.com. Enter Ray Hollenbach, and it'll take you to pretty much everything I've ever written. Uh, if, you know, if you want to feed the beast, amazon.com, it certainly does make it easy. <laughs> right. <laughs> Right. I, yeah. I, you know, your book, The Impossible Mentor, is always a good one. It's good. Thank you. Good starter. I like that. It's a good, yeah. good way to, good place to start. Um, 
And then you're on Twitter. Is it, is it Hollenbach at Twitter? Yeah, it's just my last name, Hollenbach. All right. Because uh, I got on Twitter, not many people know this, in 1961. <laughs> so I was able to just use my name. Right. <laughs> Always ahead of the curve. That's me, baby. <laughs> All right. Well, Ray, it's been a pleasure talking to you. I really appreciate you taking the time and, and sharing your thoughts and experiences with us. Well, indeed. Peace to you, Ed. Uh, God bless you and your bride and your kids. I'll see you later. Thanks, Ray.